Merry Christmas. Man, I'm looking forward to saying that for the next several weeks. It's just great, isn't it? And uh, what a great time of year. So excited to share this season with our church family. And uh, we'll be sharing some messages over the next few weeks related to Christmas. And uh, also uh, looking forward to this afternoon at 4 o'clock. We have our River City Christmas celebration. It's in the gym in the back of our property. If you've not signed up yet, just go ahead and do that today. We'll be more than happy to get you a spot there. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful time. This year, we're doing something different than we, this is the first time we've done this. Uh, we are wrapping literally hundreds of presents for single mothers and their children. Next weekend, we are delivering these uh, gifts to single moms and their kids with the gospel. Amen? And so it's going to be, it is going to be a wonderful experience. Uh, we have 16 families that we are going to serve and over 25 children that we're going to serve. It's just going to be special. I hope you'll make it out at 4 o'clock this, this afternoon. I want you to take the book that is the most highlighted book on Amazon Kindle, the Bible. And I want you to open it to the most highlighted verses on Amazon Kindle in the Bible. Philippians chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 6 through 8. Before we get into the message, I want to give a special gift to uh, someone in our church that's been serving uh, just in an extraordinary way for a long time. And uh, recently, this person had somebody uh, break into their trailer and steal some of their lawn equipment. <clears throat> and I heard about this, and I said, you know what, uh, I want to do something for Oren. Uh, Oren is the one that takes care of our church property Amen. and uh, does, it, does it quietly, does it joyfully, does it for free, uh, literally has blessed our church uh, by taking care of our property. And Oren, we just want to say Merry Christmas to you and we have a gift card here for you. Appreciate you, man. Yes, sir. So appreciate Oren. It's, it's hard to quantify. When somebody does... What he does, which is basically mow and maintain our property, the amount of money that our church saves uh, annually, it, it's just almost impossible to uh, tell. And so I, we appreciate you, brother, and uh, thank God for you. I hope that'll help you replace some of the things that you uh, lost. <clears throat> Christmas is not always happy for everybody. Christmas actually can be one of the most stressful, anxious times of year for many people for many different reasons. How many of you have heard the old song, The Twelve Things of Christmas That Are Such a Pain to Me? Anybody ever heard that? <laughs> uh, I'm by no means endorsing the entire song. I'm, I'm sure there's probably something bad in it. But, uh, you know, he, the guy gets so frustrated about just putting up the lights. And it, it's pretty funny. It's kind of a funny song, but it just, it kind of in a funny way illustrates what so many people actually experience over the next two weeks. It is not fun or festive or joyous or peaceful. It's frantic and chaotic and depressing and difficult for all kinds of reasons. There are financial and time pressures that people feel. I mean, how many Christmas parties have you been invited to? How many people do you feel some kind of responsibility for acknowledging 
or purchasing a Christmas gift for. And the truth of the matter is, you're probably not in a position to actually do that. What about isolation? What about people that went through divorce this year or people who lost a spouse or somebody that they loved this year? Or, or what about those awkward family gatherings that nobody even wants to go to? Don't act like you don't have a third cousin that you'd rather not see this year. And sometimes, because families spread out so far, I'm thinking of my, my mom had, you know, there's six siblings, and you got, so you got six siblings and their kids, and then their kids, and, and you, you know, if you all get together, you got like 50, 60 people. And there's such a wide diversity of beliefs, religion, politics, personal opinions. It can be a struggle. Uh, the challenges maybe that somebody's facing this year of becoming a step family, where, where, where a family, two families have, have come into one, and that's not always easy for everybody. Or sometimes reflecting on a year that has just been completed, only to find that you did not meet the goals that you set out to meet earlier this year, or that this year was maybe less than what you intended for it to be. And so we come to this culmination of the year, and it can turn into a time of real extreme stress and anxiety. In fact, interestingly enough, Philippians 4 has a very serious parallel to everything that I just said to you. In the middle of this text, where Paul is going to talk about joy and peace and contentment, he is going to highlight certain things that have the capability of robbing those said things from us. For instance, if you look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, you're going to see that people can often be a source of conflict and anxiety. In Philippians 4, verses 1 through 3, there's these two ladies in the church who just can't get along, and it's caused quite a, a, quite a problem in the church, and these, these women uh, are, are, are implored to get their situation taken care of, according to verse number 2, and, and uh, verse number 3, it says, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women, sometimes you're in such a mess with somebody that you actually need to enlist help. In fact, the word translated companion there uh, in the old King James Version is one of my favorite words in that translation. It's yoke fellow, companion. And it literally has the picture. I love the word. Yoke fellow is such a beautiful word because it, it represents somebody who grabs two people essentially and gets them in a yoke together when they've been unable to work together. And so a yoke fellow is somebody who basically steps in and makes things work out. So people can be a, a real source of conflict, right? Facing people, being around people, talking to people, having uncomfortable conversations could really, really cause there to be uh, trouble. Verse 4, <clears throat> rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And in that, that key word in this verse, always, speaks of circumstances, why would God have to tell us to rejoice always if it was natural to rejoice always? Of course, the answer is it's not. It's not natural to rejoice all the times. There are circumstances that come up in our lives that would sap us of our joy. Verses 6 and 7, he talks about our relationship with God. And honestly, it may be that you come into this <clears throat> particular season, and, and maybe your relationship with God this year has not been what you would like it to be or what you think it should be. You get into verses 9 through 13 and he talks about contentment with money and things. And no season of year illustrates people's lack of contentment, people's materialism than Christmas. 
And so in the middle of this all, Paul is going to give us a word that I think, as I mentioned, is one of the most popular passages in all the Bible. Let's read verses 6 and 7 together, if you will. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I want to talk to you this morning on this subject, a stress-less Christmas. I'm not talking about a stressless one without stress. You will have stress. The question is, can you have a stress-less season? Can you find a way to focus on actually what matters? And folks, this is a real problem, and I'm sure you probably know this. Anxiety, depression, and, and fear, and, and overwhelming uh, attacks on people are some of the most prominent medical and, and psychological struggles that people have today. For instance, just listen to this. 50 million Americans will experience a panic attack this year. 50 million. That's one out of every seven Americans, I believe. It's the number one mental health problem among women. American Magazine reported that one out of six Americans currently takes a psychiatric drug for anxiety. Mayo Clinic says 80 to 85% of their total caseload is directly due to worry and anxiety. Many experts affirm that, that coping with stress is the number one health priority in our world. One leading physician stated that, in his opinion, 70% of all medical patients could cure themselves if they were rid of their worries and fears. 25 million Americans have high blood pressure due to stress and anxiety. One million more will develop high blood pressure every year. Eight million Americans have stomach ulcers related to stress and anxiety. Get this. There are three hundred billion dollars a year spent on medical bills and loss of work productivity because of stress and anxiety we live in the land of stars and stripes but unfortunately has become the land of stress and strife folks this is not the way god intended for us to live at christmas at new year's on your birthday or for any other day for that matter God does not intend for his people to live this way. He does not intend for us to be tore up like this. There is a better way. And so here's what I want to share with you this morning. I want to share with you how to give a little care to yourself, to your marriage, and to your family this holiday season. Okay, you ready? Care. C-A-R-E. I'm going to make it simple for you this morning. These four words come right out of this text. And these four words, uh, I have an acrostic to spell the word care. And think about this, this season. How can you eliminate some of this stress? How can you uh, make it easier on yourself to go through Christmas and to rejoice in the Lord and to love your family and to have peace on earth and to focus on the things that really matter? And the answer is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13 give us that answer. How do we have self-care this Christmas season? Number one, I want you to see that we should celebrate God's goodness. We should celebrate God's goodness. That is what verse 4 is all about. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The call... For the church at Philippi from Paul was to get their attention off of what is going on around them 
and redirect their attention to what is above them. Celebrate the goodness of God. I've been seeing Starbucks commercials all Christmas season, and they have a simple slogan at Christmas, share the joy. And every time I see it, I keep thinking to myself, it is so sad when coffee companies have more joy and have more focus on joy at Christmas than many Christians do. The fact is, church, we're supposed to be choosing to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, he says for emphasis, I say rejoice. And here's a point I want to make to you today. We can rejoice in God always. Listen, we can rejoice in God always because there's always something in God to rejoice over. In other words, rejoicing in the Lord will put you in a place where it's inexhaustible joy. If your joy is in the right place, nobody can take it away from you. It's a, in fact, uh, Isaiah 26 says something very similar. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. There's perfect peace and perfect joy when your mind is in the right place. And if your heart and your mind is focused on the Lord, focused on his goodness, celebrating who he is, then friends, it really doesn't matter what's under your tree. What matters is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what brings us real joy. I mean, you do know this, right? That if you are not happy with what you have, then you would not be happy with double what you have. And so what do we do? It doesn't matter what we have. It matters who we have. And who we have is the Lord Jesus. Who we have is a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And I want to I say there are several things that we can at least, no doubt, rejoice in or choose to rejoice in this season. We can rejoice in the sovereignty of God. We can rest in the patience, or excuse me, the presence of God. We can embrace the care of God. We can accept the timing of God. David Jeremiah said it like this, as Christians, we have reason to rejoice every day in every circumstance because the Lord Jesus Christ has come to earth to reign in our life. Folks, listen very carefully. It is not that Jesus is one day going to reign. He is reigning today. And, and, the, and what happened at the manger was just God allowing his kingdom literally to come to this earth. He always has reigned. He is reigning. He always will be reigning. And fortunately for us, because of Jesus and because of the incarnation, that kingdom was brought down to us. And now we get to live in his presence. So number one, we can celebrate the goodness of God. Number two, the letter A here, okay? Number two, ask for help. Ask for help. Verse 6 talks about an exchange. An exchange that you can make today. You can exchange worry for prayer. Or let me say it like this. You can change care for prayer. And folks, I want to say this to you today. If it matters to you, it matters to God. If it burdens you and bothers you and concerns you, I want to assure you today, it concerns God. If it is on your heart and it is causing you stress, and I'm telling you, God wants you to bring it to him. And so oftentimes, we live our lives in this anxiety. The word anxious here comes from two words. First, angst, and second, out of breath. 
They say, and, and, and Warren could probably uh, verify this for me, but Hawaiians have a word for mainlanders called haole. Is that true? I'm glad it's true because I feel real stupid if it wasn't true. I started saying it, I'm like, oh man, there's a Hawaiian actually here. Howley. That word to the islanders about mainlanders means this, no breath. It means mainlanders are always so busy. They're so out of breath. They're so stressed out. They're so freaked out about everything. They have no ability to breathe. And folks, <clears throat> this society that you and I live in right here and right now, where, I mean, it used to be when, when dark comes, everything shuts down, but now that's when screens turn on. And we are just absolutely bombarded with, overwhelmed with information, bad news. I listened to a 90-minute interview this week with Tucker Carlson, and, I, and I, I literally, after it was done, I told, I told Angie, I said, I don't know why I listened to that. I don't want to listen to that anymore. That stuff right there will send you to the loony bin, okay? And I'm not saying there's not a place for knowing what's actually going on in our world, but I am here to tell you, it doesn't matter what is going on in our world, Jesus Christ is is in control of it all. And I do not have to run around out of breath like everything depends on me. That's what being out of breath is. Everything's a, I've got to do this. I've got to solve this. I've got to answer this. I've got to cure this. I've got to fix this. And you're exhausted. And friend, I want to tell you today that you can exchange your breathless, anxious, Life with major concerns in a minor key and exchange it today for prayer. Can I just say this to you today? There is nothing that you cannot or should not pray about. The scope of your prayers in verse number six is this in everything. And folks, there is not one thing that you cannot pray about right here and right now. I guess I would say it like this. If you're going to take the time to stress out about it this season, then maybe you could also take the time to pray about it. If you're going to take the time to worry about that encounter that you're going to have with your you know, third cousin or your sister that you haven't seen all year, and you're going to spend the time freaking out about that, then you can also spend that same amount of time praying about that encounter. So the scope of your prayers is in everything. The praise of your prayers is that we pray with thanksgiving. He says there in verse number 6, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And then he says this, let your requests be made known unto God. That speaks of the humility of prayer. What essentially is prayer? Prayer is me asking God to do something I can't do for myself. If I'm praying about it, I'm acknowledging, right? God, you've got to do this. You've got to fix this. You've got to solve this. You've got to provide for this. But obviously, if I don't pray, that is the most... Uh, self-centered, independent act that anybody could ever live in. I had a friend one time that said, there's one word for prayerlessness, and that is sin. About the old songwriter, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And folks, I can assure you that if you will take some time over these next few weeks and you will pray about those things that you are struggling with. Let me, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get ahead of myself too much in the message here, but let me, let me ask you this about all those that are going to be buying endless amounts of Christmas presents. Have you actually thought about praying about that? 
Have you ever thought that your kid's wish list does not necessarily necessitate what you actually do? Especially when 33% of Americans will go into debt for Christmas this year and 22% right now are still paying for the debt they incurred last Christmas. Let me tell you something, friend. There's a better way for you to live. I know you kids are getting real uncomfortable right now. But you should get uncomfortable. Because kids, teenagers, listen to me. This should not just be about everything in the universe that you want. And parents, if, if your kids are parenting you, then there's a reason why there's so much stress financially in your home. Is everybody okay? That wasn't real happy, was it? <laughs> Sorry about that. I guess I'll move on. <clears throat> Number three, refocus your attention. Refocus your attention. Verse eight gives us an admonition to intentionally choose what we focus on. C, celebrate God's goodness. A, ask for help. R, redirect, or excuse me, refocus your attention. Notice what he says here in verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these Things. Meditation is not emptying out your mind to think about nothing. Now, that is a secular meditation. Biblical meditation is intentionally filling your mind with certain things. In this case, there's a list of several noble things and qualities to think about. Honesty, what is worthy of respect, what is reverent, what is true. Just, whatever is right, pure, holy, morally clean and undefiled, lovely, sweet, gracious and generous, good report, highly regarded and well thought of, anything that, vir that is virtuous and worthy of praise. What is God really saying to you today? He's saying to you to trade your sorrows for joy, your anxieties for peace, your fear for faith and your doubts for hope. It's a choice. You cannot consciously think about two things at the same time. So you have a choice. I can set this season and I can think about all the things that didn't go well. I can think about all the money that I don't have. I can think about the fuss with my kids over presents all I want to. I can think about the fear of those, those gatherings that I have to do. I, I can think about all that. I can spend my time thinking about that or I can choose to refocus my attention. One of the greatest ways that you can refocus your attention and meditate is by memorizing scripture. Now folks, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart I have sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And I got to tell you, over these years of my life, there have been times where something will creep up into my heart and the way to fight it and the way to battle it is to have the scripture in my heart. In fact, isn't that what Ephesians chapter 6 actually says? It says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the spiritual evil in high places. And then he says this, stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. 
with your feet shod with the gospel, the preparation of peace, and putting on the girdle of truth, and putting on the breastplate of righteousness, and putting on the helmet of salvation. And then he says this, he says, and, and take unto you the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, folks, listen, you're not going to get peace in your life this year by listening to talk radio more than you memorize God's word. It's just, it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Interestingly enough, I'm diverting here a little bit, but it's, it's really good, so I'll throw it out there to you. <clears throat> in, in, in the Bible, there are two different words that are translated sword. Okay, back to Ephesians 6. There, there's there's like, a, 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 like a saber, like a long sword that you would see somebody fence with or fight with. Then there was a, there was a little dagger, also called a sword. It was something that, that somebody in hand-to-hand combat would have strapped to their thigh. And in close hand-to-hand combat would reach down and grab that if necessary. Okay, now get this. In Ephesians 6, it says the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The word sword there is the word dagger, the little tiny dagger. Okay, the word word, there's two words for word in the New Testament. One is logos, which speaks of the whole of the Bible. And one is rhema, which speaks of a specific statement in the Bible. And which one do you think is there in Ephesians chapter 6? It's the word rhema. Folks, listen, when you go up against spiritual warfare, you do not need to hold your Bible out like some kind of relic. No, folks, you don't need the whole of the Bible when you are in spiritual warfare and you're doing battle in your mind. You need to know statements from the Bible. And what's the best way to have those statements ready for you to fight and battle and win? The answer is get them in your heart. You are at war, you have a weapon, and you can win this Christmas if you'll let God's word get in your heart and get in your mind and change the way you think. Finally, embrace contentment. Embrace contentment. Guys, we've got to be content. Verse 11 Paul is going to pick up this thread and he's going to say to us, <clears throat> excuse me, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last, I'm sorry, that's verse, where am I at? That's verse 10, verse 11. I'm back. Not that I speak in regard to need. Watch this. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. The only way you're going to survive this Christmas and any future Christmas is if you are content, truly content with what you have, with what you are able to actually do for others reasonably, and where you build a culture of contentment in your home and with your children and with your extended family. And if you don't do that, you're going to be jerked around by everybody else's chain, forcing you to do things against what God would have you to do. It's, it's just a crazy thing that our society is doing. The National Retail Federation today forecasts that holiday spending is expected to reach record levels this year. Isn't that hard to believe? Raising over 3 to 4% just this year in a world where everybody seems to be saying right now, it costs $11,000 more a year just to live. And has that slowed down consumers? Oh, no. What has it done? It has put an acceleration on consumers. 
Angie and I were talking. Uh, we were we were shopping somewhere for, and she was she was telling me she just read this article. I think it's called Karma. You guys will see this if you do any online shopping. Virtually any online shopping that you do, when you go to check out, you have an option to use your credit card or use your debit card or whatever, and then you have an option to select Karma, and it'll say something like four payments of. You know, whatever. So if you buy a $300, whatever, you can make a pay, four payments of $75, no credit check, you just, you just click it and go. And, 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 and this article was saying how this is destroying consumers and how people are doing this without even thinking. And all of a sudden, you buy five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 gifts at four payments of this. And then all of a sudden, you're getting to the end of that and you couldn't pay it off. And then they're going to slam you. Uh, with all the interest that you'll have a very difficult time climbing out of. Look, I am not against having money. I am not against being extravagant. I am not against buying gifts. Of course not. But I am here to tell you today, if that is putting you in a predicament where you are not content and you will even go against all good sense and all biblical principles in order to put yourself in a bind for an entire calendar year, can I just tell you something? There's a better way to live and that is contentment. Man, this didn't go over as well as I imagined it was going to go over in my mind. <laughs> but that's your choice. You can spend the rest of your life tore up about it if you want to. That's your choice. You can spend the rest of your whole life knotted up, in the hospital, broken down relationships. If you choose, that's your choice. But there is a way, a better way, I believe, to live in a stress-less season. Let's bow for prayer. <clears throat> you know, only Jesus can make you truly content. possible that one of the reasons why you may find yourself scrapping for things, for money, to be noticed, to be accepted, is because your heart has never been satisfied with the Lord Jesus. Nothing ever will make you happy if Jesus does not make you happy. Nothing. Nothing. It's been proven so many times over. Superstars burn through relationships. They have all the money this world could ever have, and they're just as bad off committing suicide, running off on their relationships. It's just, it's just not, it's never going to work. So what you need more than anything is you need Jesus at the center of your life. And I, I wonder if there's somebody here today that say, Preacher, Jesus is just not at the center of my life. I do not have a relationship with Jesus, but I'd like to have one. And today, would you not open up your heart like the front door of your house and welcome Jesus into your life? He is the Savior. He is the Son of God. He died on the cross, rose from the dead. He is, according to the Bible, the only way to be saved. The way you get his salvation is by calling on his name, asking him by faith, to be your Savior. Now I wonder, for somebody out here today, you say, Preacher, I would like to know Jesus. I'd like to know that I'm saved. I'd like to have my sins forgiven. I'd like to have the peace 
that you are talking about in this sermon, then right there where you are seated, let me invite you to do this. Just right there as you're bowed before the Lord, in the private worship moment of your own chair, lift up your heart, lift up your voice if you want, and ask Jesus to be your Savior. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. I'm going to lead you in a way that you can pray to invite Jesus into your life. This prayer is not going to save you. I'm not going to save you. Only Jesus can. But the way he does is by you reaching out by faith to him because he's already done the work. So right there in your seat, just something like this, just pray humbly and genuinely right now in your seat. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. But I believe in Jesus. I believe he died. I believe he rose again. And today, I want to make you my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Help me not to be ashamed of you. Now, all across this building, maybe you're here. Maybe for the first time in your life, you just opened up your heart and prayed that prayer. Would you give me the privilege of knowing who you are so I or one of our prayer team members can just get you a gift, welcome you to the faith, and encourage you in your relationship with God? Is there anybody here who would say, Preacher, I prayed that prayer a minute. I'm so glad that I did. Just now, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. If that's you, would you hold your hand up high? Would you do that? You say, that's me, preacher. I prayed that prayer a minute. I'm so glad that I did. Let's stand, if we could, and finish this service today with a worship song. May God bless you. Don't forget to be back at 4 o'clock tonight for our Christmas gathering.